I think companies need to rethink everything when it comes to go to market. I think the world has moved so significantly in the last three, four, five years that everything needs to change. Even the the investment in the tech stack, particularly the marketing tech stack has become incredibly convoluted, but so is the sales tech stack. So old playbooks combined with throwing technology at the sales organization has resulted in companies just struggling to to have the kind of growth that they, <laughs> the, the private equity firms, if that's the case, or the shareholders expect them to have. And now, your podcast hosts, Andre and Christian. Welcome everyone to another episode of Connecting for Future the podcast where we explore the intersection of technology, leadership, and the pressing global challenges that define our times. I'm your host, Christian, and joining me as always, my co-host, Andre. Today, we have the CEO of Numentum, Mr. Dan Swift. Welcome, Dan, and thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Dan, we know you for some time now, and you're such an inspiring leader, so we're really happy to have you on our podcast. Let's just start by getting to know you and get to know what Momentum is actually. Of course. So... um... I'm 46 years old. It's a good I age, Dan. Uh, a, it's, yeah. a, it's a great age, right? It's a great age. Life begins at 46, right? Um, I've got three kiddies, eight years old, five years old, and a one-year-old. So I got to it a wow. little late. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I live in the US. I moved here when I was, uh, well, it was 2006. So I've been here for nearly 20 years. And Numentum, um, I launched as a business six years ago. So we are a bioexperience consultancy. So we help B2B organizations from a sales perspective, understand the modern buyer and how to engage the modern buyer and how to provide the modern buyer with what the modern buyer wants um, and how to, how to treat the modern buyer with respect, right? Not do what I think has happened. And perhaps we'll get into this later on, but bombard that poor modern buyer with just an overwhelming amount of just noise, right? So we're here to train salespeople to be the best they possibly can be. Yeah, it does sound complex because I, I would assume that not, not even one modern buyer. So there's a lot of different characters and mm-hmm. also the sales processes are not always the same. So how do you take the challenge of, of identifying what the buyer, as you say, wants? So, so it's, um, there are so many tools out there to do your due diligence with, right, and on to get a sense of who the person is. So perfect example, listen, I launched for LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn's social selling business and LinkedIn sales navigator. And we, t- we, we taught and now we teach at Momentum how to do that due diligence on the buyer, how to figure out who they are, where they've worked, how long they've been at an organization, who they know, what they might have publicly shared, what might have been shared about them. You can get a pretty good sense of what they're all about as a human being. And then how to engage them. Now, I don't know anyone who wants to get 150 emails from different companies every single day, right? But I do, as a buyer, know that if either of you um, said, hey, because I trust you both implicitly, right? If, hey, you should chat with this individual. I think they'll bring a lot of value. Then great. Absolutely. I'll chat with them. And that's what we're teaching buyers to do. We're, we're teach, sorry, sellers to do. We're teaching them how to look for where relationships exist, figure out how warm relationships are between people, 
and then leverage those relationships to go get meetings with buyers at companies. That's what we do. I just read then that uh, because you're mentioning LinkedIn, that LinkedIn just hit 1 billion users globally, <laughs> which is an amazing number. So why is it that LinkedIn is, is so successful? I remember being so excited at LinkedIn. I worked out of the Empire State Building and in 2012 or 13, we had 100 million members, I think it was. And we were all like, wow, this is great. And then now it's a billion. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a professional platform and it's a global platform. Um, obviously, you uh, you gentlemen have Zing, right, and uh, in Germany, which is a fantastic platform, but it's more localized for the region. Um, LinkedIn is truly global. So what LinkedIn, the policy that LinkedIn had and still has is members first. So they're not going to do anything which will jeopardize the member experience. So they're very careful about what, They allow companies to do from an advertising perspective, um, very, very careful. There's things they could have done, which would have made a lot of money very quickly, but would have annoyed us as LinkedIn members, and we would have stopped using the platform. So that members first policy is huge. So you're saying, Dan, LinkedIn is still the virtual place to be, right? If, if you're genuinely looking at business globally, and if you're a global organization, absolutely, um, the, it's growing at a, um, an incredible, well, actually just to validate that, even if you're not, even if you're a local company, just based in the U S for example, with U S interest, it still is. Um, we used to say that LinkedIn is growing by two new members every second. It's now growing by three new members every second. So it's not slowing down. It's speeding up, which is, uh, is fabulous. You know? Yeah. The growth is still exponential and let's see how, how it goes in the future. Right. So, mm. uh, Very exciting times. And, and then so, real quick as well, just on that, and new members joining the workforce as well. That's where the growth is coming from, right? So there's a, a constant stream of new people joining the platform when they graduate, when they move into, you know, the business world. And um, and that's not slowing down anytime soon. So that, that billion member mark is going to keep going up and up and up as long as we as more seasoned professionals um, still see uh, see value in the platform. Yeah, that's true. So, Dan, for our listeners who might be eager to professionalize their social selling game, uh, what are some practical tips for optimizing their LinkedIn profile? Oh, there you go. So going back to the buyer experience piece, it's all about first impressions. And that buyer, however you've arrived in that buyer's world, are going to go look at you in the same way that we as salespeople look at the buyer. So you literally have a finite period of time. Um, it, on, on mobile, it could be a second while that buyer's making a decision about you. So the background image behind the photograph that you have ideally would be a corporate background, right? Because you've got to associate yourself to what it is your organization is, is selling. The photo of yourself, right? It doesn't have to be a professionally shot photograph, but it should be one that represents who you are and a recent one and a high definition one. I mean, with today's cameras, there's no excuse not to. And then when the buyer scrolls down in the about section, they need to understand what is your experience, even if you're newer in, in business, right? What have you done and, and what are you doing now? The elevator pitch or a little bit about the organization. People buy from people. So something about who you are as a human being. So if you look at mine, you'll see that I'm a dad. 
I'm a former rugby player. I'm a terrible golfer. But like these are things that humanize me right to my market. And then and then just one other thing for you um, is the links. You can put featured content in your profile. So if we're trying to educate our buyers, let's educate them by putting links in our profile as feature content that go to the corporate website, to the product, the service, the solutions, whatever it is you want to drive your buyer to, to go learn more, make it easier for them. You know, so th- 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 listen, there's 35, 40 things you could do, but uh, those, those are the ones that I would focus on. So, so just to sum up, you're, you, Dan, you're 46 old as I am, and you play golf as well as I do. That sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I go out once a year. Literally, I go out once a year. So as long as I have a good time, I don't get frustrated. I'm out in the fresh air with friends. You know, that's, that's all that matters. If the profile is once completely polished, right, what are the next steps then for someone looking to engage on social selling for LinkedIn? So it depends what you're trying to achieve and, and what you're trying to get from the platform. Um, very generally, the, the two next things would be build your network out. So we teach people to get into the habit of connecting every single day with every single person that they have any form of meaningful business or personal interaction. So go start connecting. And it's not the, the reason for it is it's not necessarily about those people. It's about who they know. Right. So build your network out. And then the next thing would be to start educating your network a little bit. So we teach a strategy, which is a 50, 40, 10 rule. It's changed a little bit, Andre, since we taught you uh, all of this at uh, Vodafone. But um, 50 percent is corporate content. So let's educate our buyers on what it is that you will do and help them understand all the things that they could be doing with you to help achieve their business objectives. The 40 percent is industry. So the kind of content that, let's say, a CIO would ordinarily want to read. Um, Content from CIO.com, as an example, right? Push that out into your feed because that's going to help um, elevate you in their minds and and provide great information for them. And then the final 10% is human. Now, what we mean by human is um, you occasionally see me post something I think the one of them most recently was a picture of me in my Halloween costume with my kids, but it was on Halloween. And I know it's a professional networking site. I get that. But guess what? People buy from people. It's all about humanizing yourself to your buyers. Um, And it's only 10% of what you post. That might be one thing every two or three weeks. Um, That's the bit that people struggle the most with is getting beyond the hurdle of, of doing that last human piece. Um, and then interestingly, yeah. Dan, interestingly, you, you call it human and not private because we do always also have the discussion around does it always only need to be the professional life or what exactly are you are you talking about? And, and yeah. I, I like the image of, of being human and, and being uh, close to people, right? And yeah. talk a little bit about yourself, yeah. be it private or something other little detail that makes yeah. you human. Well, that's the, and, and listen, people buy from people. That's, that's the, the bottom line. But um, it, it's, since the pandemic, we've all experienced this, where um, if, if my, one of my kids um, prior to the pandemic had crashed a work call, then people would have seen it as unprofessional, right? But since the pandemic and everyone moved to working from home, that's changed. And I, my kids will occasionally come into my home office and they'll come and you know, say hi to uh, an audience of 300 salespeople who are sitting through a session and they love it. Like the, the, you know, the sellers are like, hey, and waving at the kids. 
And I share that when it comes back to LinkedIn because the professional world has changed. It's fundamentally changed. And, and anyone who doesn't agree with that, I'd, I'd have a great challenging conversation. So I think it's absolutely fine to drop something personal onto, platform, onto the platform. And it doesn't have to be a, a picture of you and your kids, right? It could be, it could be an article on a topic that you are fascinated by, right? Because that is of interest to you. It could be of interest to people in your network. Then uh, what just came into my mind, like eight years ago, while starting with LinkedIn, there was like a sales manager who had more than 500 connections, right? And I thought about how can somebody on earth has more than 500 connections? Nowadays, if I just look at your profile, you you, you have like almost 20,000 followers, right? So I, I guess we are like chasing mm -hmm. followers nowadays. And on the other side, when you go to industries like in the, the C-level context, more and more people, because nobody has so much time anymore, they tend to give their profiles to people who are trainees or agencies saying, yeah, look, take care of my profile mm. and stuff like this. So it gets a little bit complicated, right? So um, I don't know, what are your thoughts about it? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? So, so from a follow, I might have nearly 20,000 followers, but that's not a huge amount, actually, in the bigger scheme of things. But that's because I do not accept... Um, connection requests from people that I don't know or they haven't necessarily explained who they are. Um, and I don't, for me, it's not about that. The quality of my network is more important than how many people I'm connected to or who I, um, who follows me. Um, the, the other question is fascinating too, though, because there's two types of executive. There's the one, the ones who are okay to outsource it to someone else And that, that worries me because that tells me that they, they don't understand that they are the face of the organization and they're missing an opportunity to humanize the brand, be the face, educate the market. Um, and, and you can tell the ones that are clearly outsourcing it to an agency. And, and, but I also understand why they do it because it does take time to um, do it and do it right. But again, that's why we exist as a business. Like we, we have a, a part of our organization that teaches executives now, which was again, newish to what we did with um, with you all, because we, we realize that executives sometimes, it's a blind spot for them. And one option is to outsource it, or one option is actually to learn. And guess what? Some executives want to learn, right? So uh, it's been a very, probably one of the fastest growing parts of our business. Yeah, actually, um, when you talk about learning, Dan, I, I just had a discussion with my kids uh, yesterday about school. They were complaining about school and so on. And I told them, you know, when I was young, the, the idea was you go to school and then you go study something and then you are done with learning and then you do your job, right? And mm -hmm. now it's different. It's funny that you said that even if you're a CEO, you need to learn oh. every day, right? Yeah, I read a really interesting piece. I cannot remember the source as you were saying that, but um, it it was uh, it said that after the age of 26, it's so I don't know why 26, but that was the data point. It's really really hard, and it becomes increasingly hard to learn new things. So that makes it challenging, particularly. And I always think about it from a sales leader perspective, and this is the big barrier that we are beating down um, in the market where. Sales leaders haven't necessarily had to learn anything new for 20 years. And then 
With the pandemic, the working from home environment, the hybrid world, some going back, the onset of digital, um, everything that's happening with social, and and then just generally the change in terms of what buyers want from organizations. That's a lot of new things to learn in a very short period of time. So the, the leaders and the companies that are prepared to learn again are the ones that are going to excel. And the ones who are just sticking their head in the sand and thinking they can continue to do the same things they've always done are going to fail. Hmm. End of. And while talking about uh, professionals, what's the way to reach out and connect with potential clients or partners? Do you got like a special hint? I, I'll always, we call it relationship capital. So companies who, well, there's two things that are happening in the market right now. The first one is this whole concept of personalization at scale, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of, um, where technology companies are allowing B2B organizations to just bombard um, their actual total addressable market, the, the very people that they're looking to sell to. And I'm in currently about 50 or 60 different sequences from salespeople, and it's just annoying. But the best way of doing it is looking across the entire organization, taking all the relationships that exist at the organization, and then mapping to them, them to the companies and the people at those companies that you want to get conversations with, and then start getting your salespeople to start leveraging relationships to get introduced to the people at the companies they want to speak with. The conversion rate from that approach is a 70% conversion rate across industries from outreach to conversation. If you want to stick with the personalization at scale approach, it's less than 1%. So what are we doing? It's just, um, it, so it comes back to human beings. It comes back to leverage human beings in the organization and the relationships that they have to get meetings with the people that you want to get meetings with. Yeah, and it comes down to your quote saying that quality is more important, much more important than quantity. So it, it yeah. does... Uh, sound right, actually. So, Dan, you found your company um, a couple of years ago, Empire Selling. Mm -hmm. uh, you rebranded it a um, couple of months uh, back, I think. But when did you decide to found your own company and uh, really take the risk? You back then, you you had a family, um, and how, how did you manage? through the bumpy times that mm -hmm. you as a, as a CEO of a new company always um, um, tackling and, and facing? Yeah, so I, I founded it in January 2018. Um, officially, though, I set up the LLC in the US in 2015. And um, I did it because I knew that I wanted to launch the organization. But um, my wife was pregnant at the time, and um, she didn't We, we, she, we didn't think it was the right time in 2015 to launch it. So I went to a company called Sprinkler. And um, in my interview process, it's a fantastic company, social media management tech company. And in the interview process, I said to the, the leader, Eric Martorella at the time, um, I want to join. I want to work here. But I also have a side hustle. Um, is that okay? And he said, well, if you, as long as you hit your target and whatever you learn and teach outside of Sprinkler, you teach inside as well then yeah, fine. So I spent three years learning, building a curriculum, testing it, doing workshops. It was fabulous. And then launched in 2018. The rebrand, um, and, and sorry, why I decided to, to, to launch my own company was when I was at LinkedIn, 
I asked Jeff Weiner at the time if he was ever if there was ever going to be a services business, um, a true services business, and it was a resounding no. So I knew that there was a massive gap in the market to then go and launch a services business for LinkedIn, which is what Nomentum, a large part of what we do, is. And um, asking my wife in 2017 if I could then go do it in 2018, she was absolutely supportive because I'd spent two and a half years building while gainfully employed um, at Sprinkler, building something that I knew was going to be successful. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a, a great journey. And then the 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 rebrand was as we'd been Empire selling for five years, and built some great um, brand credibility in the market, but the name itself was limiting because selling's in the title. We teach marketing. Uh, not We don't teach marketing. We teach things to marketing, um, to executives, to um, HR, to CEOs, the executive suite. So the name itself was just limiting. And the agency that we worked with spoke with all of our customers and literally said, um, they're telling us you're bringing new momentum to their organizations right? New revenue momentum, um, getting people internally excited about things. So Numentum was the, uh, was the name the agency suggested. We fell in love with it and here we are. Yeah, perfect. I mean, you're mentioning uh, different departments and organizations and my feeling always is that there's still a big chance of better interaction between sales and marketing, sales and supply chain and, and other examples. So is that also your feeling that organizations need to, you know, overcome these hurdles of, of, of departments and, and so on? Absolutely. We, we, we're told with the forcing function, we remove the silos between um, the functions, particularly in the go-to-market organization and marketing and sales, absolutely. Because you think about what we've just talked about on this podcast, we we take all of the, the assets that marketing has produced and activate the salespeople through their profiles. The salespeople become mini marketers posting out to LinkedIn. We're teaching them what content to send to whom and when, um, either on LinkedIn or email or video. So marketing organizations love us because we're we're literally the vehicle to to get sellers to do what marketing are desperate for salespeople to do um but then you take it into the customer organization as well um we're teaching customer success teams and customer success managers how to look at a relationship that they have if they're responsible for upsell or cross-sell and then look into where there may be opportunities and then bring the salesperson back into the conversation at the right time. There's so much there's so much missed opportunity because of silos and we're helping break the silos down. And um, yeah, companies love us for it. Yeah, I guess that's also great learning, right? So I still remember the time back then with Empire Selling, now with Numentum. <laughs> you always have to keep up with those new mechanisms like, like with virtual selling. My feeling is you always have to refresh yourself. Now include marketing, include HR, right? Otherwise Otherwise, people tend to use mm. the old mechanisms like resharing company content, but the algorithm, they mm. just don't like it, right? So it's always good like to reflect what you're doing mm. and just also try something new. But it's always good to, to use some yeah. time, right? And get together and say, hey, let's do this, do that. What are, what are your thoughts on that? It's, it's, you got like, I know when, when you got with Empire yeah. Selling, it was always important like to say, hey, let's get together, everybody, right? It's not a one-time learning, it's a longer time learning. Yeah, all of our programs, we do offer um, 
short events. We go to a lot of sales kickoffs. We'll do a morning, full day, you know, those kind of things. But most of our customers do annual engagements because it's helping it's helping salespeople change behavior, right? And just doing one thing one time, people just revert back to, you know, what they used to do. But changing behavior, you have to do something 20 to 30 times, right, to actually then make it a habit. So that's why the annual programs are so so good. And then it's incremental learning as well. So each month, people join um, a virtual instructor-led training session, and the sessions build on each other. So by the end of a 12-month period, you've learned how to show up in the market in the best possible way, how to educate your buyers, how to do the right kind of research, how to map out an organization, how to engage all the different types of buyers in the organization, how to take them on the best possible journey they could possibly have as a potential customer, like how to close them and bring them into the... I mean, it's as a salesperson, it's an experience. We've been told it's... Um, I mean, we're training Verizon at the moment. We've trained Vodafone. We've been told that it's one of the you know the best programs that salespeople have had. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting times for us. Dan, let, let's talk about some aspects of leadership. I know that uh, you talk about mental health um, sometimes also in your LinkedIn postings. Why is mental health such an important topic for leaders uh, in, in, in today's days? And during our times yeah so it's a very very important topic to me personally so i personally have struggled with anxiety and depression um, throughout my life and i think with the pandemic it became a more prominent issue for more people because of what happened to the world and the world was turned upside down and, and a lot of people um, who might have had some challenges before they really surfaced during that time and for leaders You never know what people are going through in life, right? You never know. So I am known as a compassionate leader. I care greatly about people. So because of that, I want to I want to learn about my people. I want to know what's going on with them. I want to um, I want them to feel comfortable coming to me at any time with any questions that they might have. And one of the things that I've learned over the years with my struggles is um What people want from leaders is consistency. They want to be able to come to a leader and feel comfortable at any time that it's a genuinely safe space and you can be honest. And because of that, I have had so many people over the years come to me, share with me things, and I'm a vault on everything. And as a result, they will run through walls for me um, because I've been there for them. So compassionate leadership is not weak leadership. I think it's one of the strongest forms of leadership that you can you can have. And what's happening in the market is people who salespeople and just people in general are not prepared to work anymore for people who don't treat them with respect and humanity and compassion. And um, it's become a, a, a magnet for, for talent. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very important topic. And I just wish more people would be open and honest about their own challenges if they have them, particularly when they're in leadership roles, because it's very, very important that they do. Right. Especially with compassionate leadership. Also, you saw like a lot of companies, the COVID pandemic was going on. We're sending people into home offices, right? Now it goes the other way back, right? So mm -hmm. even big companies say you have to go back in, in the office, but it's good. And you got like some tips. What, what are your thoughts about like if companies really keep saying, 
saying, hey, let's get back in the office, the old way of working? Yeah, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? Because from a productivity perspective, all of the reports that I've read was that the productivity of employees actually went up when everyone was working from home. So now that companies are saying, no, you have to come back into the office, um, it's a little strange. I do understand it for certain industries, and um, I do understand it where there's a huge opportunity for collaboration when you're actually together in person with each other. Um, But forcing it, particularly for people who made decisions to live elsewhere during the pandemic, um, I think is hard. That's tough. Um, So it's a very challenging. I can tell you at Nomentum, yeah, we're a smaller organization, but I asked all of my people, um, do you want to go back into the office in Manhattan? And no one wanted to go back to the office in, in Manhattan. So so we've carried on working from home. We uh, we train virtually. We have meetings virtually and, and we're very successful companies. So I, I, it's, a, it's a tough one. Yeah, I think the discussion is always black and white, right? With a lot of other discussion, it's always black and white. And I think in this case, it's, it's a mix that's uh, really successful. So you mm-hmm. need to have some personal interaction, live interaction, of course, but I think um, uh, being virtual doesn't mean you are uh, not successful. And right. I know that you're taking it to extremes, right? Because I think your CMO, Rebecca Takada, she is living in Japan, as I recall. Yeah, right? Exactly. She wanted to get as far away from me as possible, so went to the other, other, other side of the world. Um, no, but, it'll, it, but it works for us, though, because we, we've known each other for so long, and um, we also know what each other are thinking, which is a bit weird sometimes. Um, but she she can work on something, and we have the benefit of the overnight, where I'll wake up in the morning, and whatever we've been working on the previous day, she's had the day to work on it. Um, and then she'll do some late nights, I'll do some late nights to make it work when we need to. Um, but yeah, for me, it's more about you get you find the right talent and she is incredible. You do what it needs you need to do to make it work. And, uh, and we do. Now let's switch gears a bit. Buyers are more connected and empowered than ever, but teams are often stuck with old playbooks. How do you see this shift impacting the way business is done? Um, I think companies need to rethink everything when it comes to go to market. I think the world has moved so significantly in the last three, four, five years that everything needs to change. Even the the investment in the tech stack, particularly the marketing tech stack was um, has become incredibly convoluted, but so is the sales tech stack. And so old playbooks combined, combined with throwing technology at the sales organization has resulted in um, companies just struggling to 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 have the kind of growth that they they they, they the, the private equity firms if it's that's the case or the shareholders expect them to have so we uh, we talk a lot about slowing down we talk a lot about um, less is more and um, and if 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 there's one story I'll I'll, I'll leave you with is um, I, I I heard about a salesperson in one of the programs that we um, delivered who got in trouble for not hitting an activity metric of number of calls made, but hit a 5x of what was expected of him in terms of meetings with executives. What is going on? Like that, that to me is absolutely ludicrous. So so we've just That's got to crazy. Re- yeah. right we've just got to rethink what what we're measuring why we're measuring it um 
what we're holding people accountable to too. And yeah, I, I understand it when people are not performing, but when people are performing, there's a lot of things that need to change from a, from a people process and technology perspective. Yeah, absolutely right, Dan. So thank you so much for your insights here. And Christian, should we start our quick fire round now? Quick fire round. Sounds perfect. Dan, if you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would that be? Oh, quick fire. Um, I don't know why, but I don't know why, but for some reason, my brain went straight to having dinner with Pele. Um, I, and I, I think that would just be fabulous. <laughs> and I know it's a more recent historical figure, but um, that, that my mind went there for some reason. <laughs> That's a Cool answer, Dan. Thank you. So what's your favorite book or the last book you read? I'm actually reading Rebecca Takada's um, book at the moment, um, Quite Ready. So um, I urge folks listening to this to, to take a look at that. <laughs> cool. Now, what's the most exciting technology trend you're currently keeping an eye on? Um, anyone who doesn't say anything around AI right now would be, um, I'd be surprised. But I think it's the use of AI in sales. And a great example is Navigator, LinkedIn Sales Navigator. They are doing a fabulous job at bringing AI into that platform. It's uh, incredible. Before we wrap up, Dan, we have one more question for you. We call it words of wisdom. What advice would you give future leaders um, to become successful? To... Realize that you have a long time, fingers crossed, a long time in life to um, get to where you think you need to be. So enjoy the journey and get to know the people around you that you're spending time with. Because when you do, that journey becomes way more fun, way more interesting. And then the last thing I'll say, I know you said one thing, but don't take yourself too seriously. Because um, again, whatever you do, do it with, with passion, Do, give everything that you've got. And if you can't do that, then you're probably not doing the right thing. So go find something that you can give your 100% to every single day. These are great advices. Thank you, Dan, for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Dan. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Connecting for Future. We hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to join us the next time. Until then, take care and keep connecting.